Perspectives on Easter, a Tent and Thrive special. My name is Annas, and I have lived a long and eventful life. I was born into a prominent Jewish family, the son of Seth, the high priest. And from an early age, I was taught to honor God and to follow his commandments. As I grew older, I became more and more interested in the law. I studied under Hillel the Elder, known for his wisdom, kindness, and advocacy for social justice. I also studied under Shammai, who was known for his strict interpretation of Jewish law. He founded his own school of thought, which was often in opposition to Hillel's. I read the mystical teachings of Jonathan ben Uziel, the Tanaic sage. I even debated with Rabbi Gamaliel. Eventually, I became a priest and I devoted my life to serving God and upholding the traditions and customs of my people. I was respected and revered, and many came to me seeking guidance and counsel. When I was 29 years old, Quirinius, the Roman governor of Syria, appointed me to be high priest of Jerusalem, a post which I held for almost 10 years. I was removed from office by Valerius Gratus, procurator of Judea before Pontius Pilate. He was jealous of my growing influence. And although I was removed, I continued to be highly regarded by the high priestly clan. Ishmael ben Fabus succeeded me, but then my son, Eliezer ben Ananus, became high priest. And after the brief tenure of Simon ben Camithas, my son-in-law, Joseph Caiaphas, was appointed to that role. Four more of my sons would become high priests of Jerusalem over the next decade, and other relatives were so appointed over the years. My life was not without its challenges. During my tenure as high priest, there were many political upheavals and power struggles, and I often found myself caught in the middle of these conflicts. Besides Gratus, there were many others who opposed me, who felt that I was too conservative and too entrenched in the old ways. After I was removed from being the high priest, I committed my time and energy to preserving Jewish traditions. As a Sadducee, I believed in maintaining good relations with the ruling authorities. Still, I was no friend of the Romans. They often imposed restrictions on our worship and religious observance, and they sometimes destroyed or defiled our holy sites. When Jesus of Nazareth began his ministry, I was an unofficial advisor to my son-in-law, Joseph. We heard about him soon after he began performing so-called miracles in Capernaum. They say he healed an official son, and he supposedly drove out an evil spirit from a man. Some also claim that he healed the paralyzed servant of a centurion. None of these were independently confirmed by the Sanhedrin. Jesus taught that the poor, the meek, and the marginalized were blessed and would inherit the kingdom of God. I was concerned about the political implications of teachings like this. I feared that he could incite rebellion against the Roman occupation, which would have dire consequences for us. He preached about love and forgiveness, and many people were fooled by his words, but not me. I saw through his lies and knew that he was dangerous. 
He was observed in the presence of sinners and outcasts, lepers, a woman caught in adultery, Samaritans. That was a threat to the purity and holiness of the Jewish community. But I was most troubled that this man was a blasphemer and he had utter contempt for Jewish law. Jesus was teaching in a house that was filled with people, including a number of Pharisees and doctors of the law. A man afflicted with palsy was brought to him. His friends could not take him inside because of the crowd, and so they lowered him down through the roof. Jesus saw their faith, and he responded by saying that this man's sins were forgiven. He forgave the man's sins. Only God can do that. And that was not the only time he blasphemed. On other occasions, he claimed to be God or the Son of God. By making those claims, he was guilty of crimes punishable by death. And then Jesus healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, which, as you know, is a direct violation of our law. When the authorities challenged him on this, he defended himself by claiming that he was doing good during the work of God. The chief priests and scribes petitioned Caiaphas to do something about Jesus on many occasions. Finally, a few days before Passover, we decided that we could tolerate this troublemaker no longer. One of his disciples agreed to cooperate with us, and we put in place our plan to deal with him. Late on Thursday night, word was sent to me that a unit of soldiers was being dispatched to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him. By the time he was taken and brought back to my house, it was already early in the wee hours of Friday morning. Why did they bring him to me first? Out of deference to my standing in the community, out of respect for my status as High Priest Emeritus, out of regard for my wisdom and discernment. They brought him into the courtyard, and that is where I met him. I had seen him from a distance once or twice, but never up close. He was a tall man, and as he stood up straight, he towered over me. For a few minutes, I glowered at him, but he did not flinch. He returned my gaze, clear-eyed. Because I was not the high priest, I could take no official action. As such, I did not subject him to a legal trial. Rather, I interrogated him. I asked him question after question about his violations of our ordinances, about the claims he made about himself, about his seditious ambitions but he said not a word in response. After a frustrating hour of getting nowhere, I dispatched him to my son-in-law and to the Sanhedrin. He was tried by Caiaphas, found guilty of blasphemy, and then flogged. He was then sent to Pilate to stand charges of tax evasion and treason. The insufferable Roman governor seemed afraid to confront the rabble-rouser, and he sent him on to Herod. When this happened, I began to panic. Could they possibly release Jesus? So with a delegation of leaders, I went privately to Pontius Pilate. I told him that Jesus was a troublemaker who needed to be dealt with. At first, Pilate was hesitant, but I knew how to play him. I reminded him of his duty to maintain order and told him that if he didn't act, the people would riot. I also made sure to play on his fears. I told him that if he let Jesus go, he would be seen as weak and that the Jewish leaders would lose respect for him. And so when Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate, the Roman governor did the right thing. He condemned Jesus to die. Within hours, the Nazarene was crucified. 
On the third day after his death, Roman soldiers charged with guarding Jesus' body went to Caiaphas to report that the stone stealing the tomb had been rolled away and the body was gone. They had some preposterous story. They claimed that an angel removed the stone and that Jesus, very much alive, walked out of the tomb. None of the Jewish authorities believed this. We saw it for what it was, an attempt by those Roman infidels to extort money out of us. They had probably been paid off by Jesus' disciples to spirit away the corpse. Still, we couldn't permit them to go around town telling lies about a resurrection. So we paid them some hush money for the preservation of order. Despite our best efforts, Jesus' followers have been making false claims that their master has risen from the dead. And sadly, many of the foolish Gullible people have believed them. We have tried to stamp out this new insurgent movement called the Way, but like an infestation of cockroaches, they keep growing and spreading. We even gave papers to a young Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, authorizing him to bring the leaders of the movement to justice. But somehow they turned him, and now he has become one of them. And so now, in the twilight of my years, despite all that I have and all that I have accomplished, I am left to wonder, did I fail in my efforts? Have I been undone by an itinerant preacher from lowly Galilee, a man who has been dead for 30 years?